0: They say home is where the heart is. For Nicole Langisfeld and Louis Sedovnik, that home was a condominium in sunny South Florida. The newlyweds moved to a small coastal community called Surfside last February. That decision turned out to be fatal. Friday marks one year since the Champlain Tower South condo collapsed in the middle of the night, killing Nicole, Lewis, and 96 others. Today, we hear about the communities impacted by this tragedy and the steps the state has and hasn't taken to make buildings safer. But first, let's hear from Martin Langisfeld, Nicole's brother. He spoke with 1A producer Chris Remington earlier this week. Chris joined our team back in November from WLRN in Miami, where he covered the Surfside tragedy. He started by asking Martin to reflect on the anniversary of the collapse.
1: It's unbelievable to come to a realization that in a few days now, it will be one year from the worst moment in my family's lives. It wasn't just a normal death where the person is taken from you and you're able to grieve. We haven't stopped in the past year. It is constant pain and pouring salt into an open wound. From the legislative standpoint to still receiving phone calls that they're finding human remains of our loved ones It's hard to grieve when there is so much going on.
2: Your sister Nicole met her husband Louis at the University of Florida. They were recently married and had just moved into this condo in Surfside. How are you reflecting on your memories of them?
1: The reason I do everything I do is because of how much of an impact my sister Nikki has made, not only to me, but to every single room she walked into. Ever since she was five years old, she wanted to be an attorney and fight for justice. I didn't know what an attorney was when I was three years old, when she was saying that. I have no idea how she knew what she wanted to be. Without her presence here, she's already changing laws, which are going to be implemented across the country one day, and I'll continue that fight until it happens, because there are other Buildings are in the same or worse condition than Champlain Towers. And unfortunately, many of those innocent people who live inside these buildings don't know they're in danger. My family didn't know they were in danger when they died. They were in their dream home. I never had a brother. Louis filled that gap. He was an amazing person. Very athletic soccer player, golf player, loved all sports, and no one more I would ask for than my sister to be with.
2: Money cannot replace a human life, but the $1 billion tentative settlement reached in the class action lawsuit filed on behalf of families like yours must have real meaning. What is the importance Of that settlement to you and what more are you looking for in terms of accountability?
1: This is an outcome that no one expected around the world. The attorneys and the court did an incredible job to reach this outcome, especially a case of this magnitude which can take over a decade easily to be closed, to reach this settlement one day before the one-year mark is what will give families a little place to rest in their minds. Of course, the money is going to help, but at the end of the day, the money won't bring who we lost back, no matter how much money we receive. It's a pain that nothing can ever cover. And most importantly to us, just because there's this much money on the table now The investigation could not be stopped. We can't forget that a building fell in the middle of the night where countless loved ones lived. Money could not cover liability. There are people, parties, and companies who are at fault, clearly. The litigation and the criminal case are completely different. And state attorney Catherine Rundle needs to put pressure on investigation until we find who is liable. And we will not stop once this money comes in. We will not stop until we know who is liable.
2: The land where the Champlain Towers once stood has been sold to a bidder for $120 million. Hussein Sajwani with the Dubai-based real estate company Damac, was the sole bidder. And he plans to build another luxury condominium on that site. You've been advocating since the collapse for a memorial site to be placed there. Where do things stand for that to be constructed to commemorate your sister, brother in law, and all of the other lives lost?
1: The only reasonable and respectful thing that can go on this piece of land is a memorial. And I'm not trying to stop the sale of the land. I understand this land is getting sold to developer DEMAC from out of the country. But we're asking DEMAC to please work with us, the families, to please work with the Surfside Commission, Miami-Dade County, and Governor DeSantis on finding a way and a design that fits an honorable memorial and his development next door so he can respect the reason that land was up for sale in the first place. There are ways to make a memorial on that site. It's happened in 9-11. It's happened in Oklahoma. It's happened before. There are ways to work around it. So will you please ask the MAC to work with us?
0: That was Martin Langesfeld speaking with 1A producer Chris Remington. Later in the program, you'll hear more about Martin's advocacy for building safety in the Sunshine State. Let's turn now to WLRN in Miami, reporter Veronica Zaragovia. Veronica, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on, Jen. So on June 24th of last year, the Champlain Tower South collapsed at approximately one twenty a.m. You were on the scene reporting just a few hours later, and you've continued to cover the story over the past year. How are you reflecting on the tragedy today?
3: You know, I'm thinking a lot about um, the the rescue workers. Yesterday, there was a, a an event in Surfside with the Surfside Police Department, and they were introducing a therapy dog. And a captain was in tears and kind of struggled to talk about um, how the police officers are doing. And um, I think it's been just such a hard year for everyone, for their families. Um, the families. As as Martin had mentioned, there's still no um, idea of where exactly the permanent memorial will be. So there's just A lot of um, struggling is what I feel at this point. And uh, the mayor told me yesterday, um, Shlomo Danzinger, that families are worried that after this one-year mark, people will start forgetting what happened. And he wants to make sure that they know the town will continue to remember the 98
0: victims. Shlomo Lipskar is the rabbi of the Shulbal Harbor. That's a community just north of Surfside. And he spoke with 1A producer Anna Casey about the sight of rescue workers digging through rubble in search of the missing.
2: Every time they found someone, the entire operation ceased. There was like a stillness that you can't imagine because when they were working, there was heavy equipment, cranes and bulldozers, people talking and yelling. It was massive. And when they found someone, you could literally hear the waves on the sea. It was so silent. And everybody stood at attention as they carried the remains of the body down So the response, because of that combined effort in care, love, sensitivity, feeling, even as I'm talking to you, I start getting these chills.
0: We're commemorating one year since the condo collapse in Surfside, Florida. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. To join future conversations or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming, and many are burned out without even knowing it. Struggling with work or any of life's roles can lead to a lack of motivation and detachment. Prioritize your mental health by talking with someone. BetterHelp Online Therapy offers video, phone, and live chat sessions with a professional therapist, and it's more affordable than in-person therapy. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash 1A. It's been one year since the Champlain Tower condominium collapsed in Surfside, Florida, killing 98 people. And let's add another voice to the conversation. With us now is attorney Brad Sohn. His law firm filed the first class action lawsuit on behalf of the victim's family members after the collapse. A preliminary agreement has been reached for more than $1 billion for victim's family members. Brad, we appreciate you
4: being here. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Brad, bring us up to speed on where this lawsuit stands now.
4: Well, um, thanks to a really inspiring effort by, um, uh, first and foremost, Judge Michael Hansman and uh, a number of attorneys that that I feel incredibly lucky to be a part of that he appointed as class counsel to litigate this matter. We are uh, preparing tomorrow for the final approval hearing for what will be, um, under these circumstances, obviously um, a, a really tremendous outcome. A, a you know. Over one billion dollar settlement fund, and and that's exclusive of the land sale. Once you you add in the land sale, uh, it will be approximately a one point two billion dollar compensation fund for these victims.
0: You've representing you've represented rather many
4: clients in, in wrongful death lawsuits, but what makes Surfside unique? Well, a, a number of things, but uh, I think I think when when somebody. Uh, Calls you in in their darkest hour, which is as you pointed out, kind of how things always begin with me, or very frequently. Um, it's it's there's always a, a you know a moment where you say wow, and and the the circumstances of of somebody's loss sits with you. Um, but when when something happens to this many people at the same time, and not only to this many people at the same time, but uh, in the sanctity of their homes where we all should be able to feel safe and secure, it it really. It's words can't really describe um, that level of 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 pain that these victims feel, um, and that you know obviously you as the attorney here and and are experiencing as well
0: How many defendants have been included in the lawsuit Brad?
4: Well, the lawsuit began, um, my first lawsuit began um, by naming the Condominium Association itself. And then what, what that did is it allowed us to start the fact-finding process of sending out discovery requests, not only just to the association, but to other parties as well that, that you know, we believed this is back in, you know, a year ago, um, could have uh, liability for any number of reasons. And so just speaking broadly, there was the association there was neighboring construction that was going on. And then there were a number of other other parties that were, not all of them named in the actual litigation, but ended up contributing to the settlement fund because otherwise they would have been named defendants in the litigation. So you had a number of structural engineers that um, at various points in time came onto the site and evaluated it. You also had uh, the security firm that was you know responsible for Providing building security at the time and and providing an evacuation uh, in theory, which obviously tragically didn't materialize the way it it, it should have. Um, and so, uh, you know, within that, there are I think approximately forty to fifty um, different entities, some of which were actually named in the litigation, and as I say, others of which reached resolutions um, prior to being named in the litigation.
0: And so, the the ultimate settlement that goes to the family members of, of victims of the collapse, where does that money come from?
4: So that money is contributed by each of the defendants and, you know, in many cases, um, in most cases, they're insurance carriers. So, uh, you know, all of these corporations have you know, liability policies that they are required to carry, particularly in the case of, for example, structural engineers who are doing work on the building and that sort of thing. And so that's where the funds come from is those defendants and their, their insurance.
0: Veronica, five members of the Champlain Tower South Condominium Association board quit in 2019 after years of failing to address millions of dollars in needed repairs. What have we learned about the board's inability to address the structural problems with the building?
3: Right. Well, at this time, the, the boards didn't have teeth to require payments. And so there was a lot of infighting among big personalities and the board and, and, and people who owned units who were facing at the time of the collapse, the repairs would have cost more than $15 million. And so if you had a one bedroom, your assessment was at about $80,000. If you had a penthouse, it was about $300,000. And to understand what was going on in 2019, the, a, a year before in 2018, the association had hired one of the defendants Brad was mentioning which is um, an engineering firm, Morabito Consultants, to inspect the building and that was required because Surfside is in Miami-Dade County which requires a recertification process after 40 years and they found major structural damage to the building, um, concrete cracking in the garage and problems in the concrete slab under the pool deck. And so that gets us, you know, to 2019, when they're starting to debate how, how costly this is going to be and kicking down these assessments and, and prices going up. At first, it was assessed at about $9 million when the report was done, and then it, it went up to more than $15 million. So just a lot of fighting and inability to really get everyone on the
0: same page. Brad, what are your clients looking for out of this lawsuit? We talked about financial compensation, but are there other things included?
4: Well, I think I think the only way, unfortunately, um, that that an attorney representing victims in in a crisis like this can be helpful uh, is by applying money to the problem as as best as can be. Um, and I think uh, there's no question that that <laughs> you, you you meet these victims, and all you can try to do is work with them as best you can to help put together the pieces. Um, and and so uh, that can take a lot of different forms. I mean, there are are obviously unit owners who've been displaced who um, this is their home, this is their only place to live. And so they need to be able to, you know, go <laughs> begin the process of... of- of moving, moving and, and setting up a home someplace. Then you have other families who uh, maybe have lost their their primary income earner. You know, I know there was there was uh, a, a young woman who I think she had four children. Uh, not not one of my individual clients, but it was a story that really stuck with me because the the kids were about the same age as my children, and she was about the same age as my wife. Um, obviously, there's a financial loss, but there's a huge emotional loss. And sometimes just the ability to be able to step back and take time with therapy and take time to do the things that one does to to heal um, when the unimaginable happens is really important. And while, while money isn't the ultimate solution, it enables people to take step forwards in that healing process.
0: Veronica, the National Institute of Standards and Technology announced last week that their investigation to the, into the collapse has entered a new phase. That includes conducting invasive testing into the concrete and, and reinforced steel from the site. What do we know at this point about what actually caused the collapse?
3: Well, Jen, right now they're looking at a range of hypotheses, so they haven't really narrowed down exactly what happened. They're looking at, um, for instance, movement to the building's foundation, the impact that the building may have received from construction of a luxury condo building right next door. They're looking at effects from corrosion and climate change. And so what they've explained is that they're setting the concrete columns and uh, from the collapsed and imploded portions of the building, and they create 3D models and then they um, l- you know w- with these 3D models, it helps them um, to understand maybe what how how these different factors might have played a role. And I will say that the engineers I've spoken to say it's most likely that several factors contributed to the collapse of the Champlain Tower South and that they'll likely not find one particular uh, cause, but that we, we still, it's probably a, at least a year to go before they determine what happened.
0: And Brad, for the families you represent, what questions do they want answered?
4: Well, I, I mean, I think everybody, everybody has looked at this um, through their through their own through their own eyes and through what their own families are experiencing and i i certainly think that that some people have have pressed hard for um you know investigations as far as the the nist investigation and and there's certainly people like we heard on earlier who um you know the langusfeld family was asking about you know pursuing a criminal investigation and that sort of thing i think um everybody is, is still left asking the questions that that you know, Veronica was just alluding to, and we still need those answers.
0: You've been working with these families over the past year to, to reach this settlement. There's a hearing tomorrow, I believe. What will that mean for the families seeking accountability and support?
4: Well, it'll it'll be the next and and relatively final step in the process. I mean, it'll it will be the last time that um, as a collective we're we're all in court um, appearing before Judge Hansman and um, discussing the, the litigation side of this. Then then things will shift over into the the you know claim submission and and claims processing side of this, which is a, a really big step and something that. Uh, I, I'm just blown away by the sheer speed uh, at which we've been able to do this and and I, again, I mean I, I've said it a couple times, but it's it's really remarkable state state court judges have a lot on their plate. Uh, they have a lot of cases that they have to deal with on a on a daily and weekly basis and to to be able to take the, the level of, of focus that Judge Hansman did on this matter and make sure that, that this wasn't pursued for the next five to 10 years, which it easily could have been. Uh, and instead we're, we're getting ready to essentially take the next step in the healing process with these families. It's, it's nothing short of remarkable.
0: That's Brad Sohn. He's an attorney representing dozens of families who lost loved ones in the Surfside condo collapse. Brad, we appreciate your time.
4: Thank you so much.
0: Richard tweeted, As a former building official and university teacher in architecture, I see designers and builders reluctantly meeting the building codes and yet thinking they have somehow met the gold standard. Building regulations are the absolute minimum for design, materials, and maintenance. I'm Jen White. We'll hear more from you and our guests in just a moment. Now let's get back to our program commemorating one year since the Surfside tragedy. And joining us now is Republican State Representative Daniel Perez of Miami, Miami-Dade County. He sponsored a new bill-turned-law that passed in a special session last month. It aims to improve the safety of condominiums in the aftermath of the Surfside tragedy. Representative Perez, welcome to the program.
5: No, thank you guys so much for having me.
0: Representative Perez, this new law signed by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis makes substantial changes to the state's condominium inspection program. It also changes the reserve fund requirements for condo boards, which we'll get into in a minute. But first, how will this law ensure that a tragedy like Surfside never happens again?
5: Yeah, and that really was the number one goal uh, during this last last special session. Uh, it, It was to make sure that the tragedy that these families went through Never happens to any other family in Florida. And before we passed this law, the inspections to these condominiums were happening every 40 years. And so what we did is, is we lowered the amount of years that it's gonna take for inspections to occur. If a building, a condominium building with three stories or more, th- this bill's only gonna apply to those condominiums that are three stories or more. Uh, if they're within three miles of the coastline, then at the at the time that this building reaches 25 years of use, the first inspection will have to take place and the inspection will be done in two phases, but it, it'll, it'll include an architect or an engineer and then the building official. And then after those 25 years are reached and the inspection takes place, assuming that it's passed, then every 10 years thereafter, this building will have to be inspected by the local building official. If the building's outside of the three miles from the coast, then it'll be at 30 years and then every 10 years thereafter. But, you know, the the, the surfside issue, um, that building hadn't been inspected in 40 years and it was going through that process at the time of its collapse. So, you know, we're we're hoping that by moving that up, amongst other details in the bill, which I'm sure we'll discuss today, uh, gets us to the point where we can at least look at Floridians and say that as the legislature, in a bipartisan manner, we were able to uh, pass a bill that makes families safer in condominium.
0: Now, this law goes into effect in 2025. Does it also include expansion of of funding or staffing to ensure these uh, inspections take place when they're supposed to?
5: Yeah, the the inspections are going to be done locally on a state level by the agency of DBPR. The requirement that these associations are going to have is they're going to need to send DBPR how many buildings are within this condominium. Sometimes there's multiple buildings within the Condominium Association. Are three stories or more in order for us to be able to have uh, a, a, a catalog or a roster in order for us to maintain uh, the records as accurate as possible. Right now, we don't have that information. And so that's part of the requirement on behalf of the associations. And I just want to mention um, that
0: d- but d- 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 DBPR go- is the Department of Business and Professional Regulation. Go ahead.
5: And that's correct that's absolutely correct yes um, and, and so they'll they'll be they'll be managing that but the building official is actually a local uh, is a, a local building official and you know one thing that we haven't that we that we didn't do in this bill is, is we didn't handcuff local governments to put stricter laws if that's something that they believe is is fit you know Miami Dade County and Broward County here in South Florida uh, are a little bit different than Wakulla for example maybe there's not as many as condominiums there so what we did as a state in the legislature is we kind of set the minimum requirements, which we believe are actually pretty serious, but we put the minimum requirements and then are going to allow for those local building officials to add on anything that they see fit.
0: Uh, Veronica, the Champlain Towers South Condo Association Board was aware of the $10.3 million it needed to set aside for repairs, but it was unable to build those reserve funds. Why?
3: Well, because those assessments were, you know, the reserves, there are some people who, I mean, South Florida has so many retired People who live on fixed incomes and not everybody is, you know, an an income earner who has the thousands of, well, ultimately for the assessment, but even in the, the monthly reserves that goes, gets tacked onto your HOA fee that you already pay monthly, which is usually quite high if it's a building that has a, doorman or, you know, a valet service or a gym, all of that is quite expensive. And so it it just people, um, they might get fined a certain amount of money if they're not paying it on time. But there really just wasn't much more that that they could do.
0: Representative Perez, how will the state navigate, not just the politics of the condo board, but the financial status of, of residents? How does that factor in?
5: Yeah. And let, me, and let me add to Veronica's answer. You have to remember that, that the requirement right now in this bill that was signed by the governor is only for the structural integrity components. So the, the flower bed at the front gate, the security guard, none of that's going to be collected for in the mandatory reserves. We've kept it specific and we've laid it out in the bill to what structure structural integrity components are. It's over 10 of them and it includes the roof, it includes windows, it includes staircases. But you know, if, if an association doesn't, doesn't want to collect for the door guide, well, they don't have to in this bill. That's up to them. Well, we 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 want to make sure that the funds are there for what is the most important part of a building when it comes to safety. That's the whole that's the that's the crux of the bill. That's the whole purpose as to why we passed this bill Uh, when it comes to the financial burden that that it could have on condominium owners, what we haven't done is we haven't handcuffed them to a point where options aren't on the table on how they can go and get this funding. If they want to go to a bank to get the funding on behalf of the unit owners as an association, they can do that. Uh, You know uh, what that, what those details look like, well, that's between an association and the, the banking institution, but we've given those options to, uh, these associations and to the condominium owners, because we do understand that for some people, uh, there might be some out-of-pocket expense that for others may not exist.
0: Veronica, I want to come back to Martin Langisfeld, who plans to stay in Florida despite his concerns about the safety of its buildings. Here he is again speaking to 1A producer Chris Remington.
1: Speaking up is what makes the difference. After next week, most of the media is going to cover another story. But these families aren't going anywhere. We're going to stay with the pain. We're going to stay with the unanswered questions.
0: What are you hearing from families who lost loved ones in the Surfside tragedy about other changes they'd like to see from the Florida legislature, Veronica?
3: They just, they want to make sure that this is just a first step, that um, whatever needs to be done so that in these three years, um, you know, if they notice that there are any kind of delays or anything, that that could be addressed by the legislature to make sure that what happened on June 24th of last year wouldn't be repeated. And, uh, you know, I I feel like I can promise Martin that many of us will not leave this story. Um, we've been following it since day one, and we're going to continue to follow um, how the legislature r- responds. I, I covered in early July of last year, shortly after the collapse, there was a building that had been evacuated because it was found to be unsafe and a lot of or pretty much everybody I was seeing in the parking lot um they were renters low income renters uh, one woman told me she was a nail technician another one was had was a a mother who was not working and they simply could not afford to just find another place to live and so the ramifications in, including and then seniors who I mentioned earlier who who might have to sell their units and live somewhere else cuz they can't afford Um, you know, these fees. And so it's just
0: really across the board, um, a lot to cover. And so we we will stay on the story. We're talking to Daniel Perez, a Republican state representative for Miami-Dade County. He sponsored the new Florida bill turned law that aims to improve building inspection codes and reserve requirements in the wake of the Surfside tragedy. Representative, thank you for your time. Veronica, again, as you alluded to this, this tragedy exposed how vulnerable lower income communities can be where where buildings are forcibly evacuated because of safety concerns. Back in April, residents at the Bayview 60 homes in North Miami Beach were forced to evacuate because city officials deemed the building structurally unsound. Put this within the context of just housing availability in the area more broadly.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a huge problem because of the influx of people that we have coming into South Florida um, every year the the availability of housing is quite is getting smaller in compared to the in comparison to the demand and so um prices are so high I'm just seeing in in my own city where I live of miami miami beach rent is like people will say my rent just got increased five hundred seven hundred a thousand dollars um from one year to the next and so it's really difficult a lot of people in South Florida live at work in the hospitality industry that's really what uh, fuels a lot of our economy and these are people who who you know do not have health insurance a lot of times and it's just really difficult how this is going to affect Um, people's ability to afford living here plus the car expenses and insurance has been that market has been quite rattled by all of this because until lawmakers could agree to pass that legislation that Representative Perez explained um, there was just a lot of fears that insurance was becoming cost prohibitive itself in order to purchase your unit so uh, just yeah it's it's tough.
0: Veronica how are residents in Surfside building community this week in a time of grief.
3: Well, you know, I was there yesterday and I saw that they had put some flowers again on on a fence that surrounds the property and there's a big banner that the that the town paid for that has all of the names of the victims and so you can't really pass by without thinking of the people who died and I do want to mention a person who is rarely mentioned she was a 23 year old nanny from Paraguay who had finished her nursing degree and came to work as a nanny and support her family, uh, Lady Luna Vialban, so we're thinking of the people who were from here and also the people who had an opportunity to travel to, for a better opportunity who
0: lost their lives uh, last year. That's reporter Veronica Ziragovia of WLRN in Miami. Veronica, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Today's producer was Chris Remington with help from Anna Casey. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.